Well, good morning. My name is Brad Cheney. We're in John 13. This is the evening they ate the Passover meal in the upper room. It would have occurred on Friday for them since the Jewish reckoning of time begins uh, at, the, at sundown. But for our calendars, it would have uh, taken place on Thursday, specifically Maundy Thursday. Maundy is, comes from the Latin um, mandatum, novum, a novum mandatum, I give to you, a new command I give to you, and that is to love one another. And Jesus says that you know, later in the evening in the meal. I'm going to be preaching on that next week. Today's sermon outline is simple enough. We're going to simply talk about two things, um, washing and being washed. Jesus says later in the passage that what he has done for his disciples here is an example of what they must do for others uh, and what we, we must do for others. That is, you know, to wash, to wash their feet. And on the other side, like the disciples, we must have our feet washed by Jesus. And we'll talk about what that means and why that is so difficult. It was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them, or no, rather, he he loved them to the end. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever taken a moment to think about how much power you have. I mean, none of us is a world leader, but we do have power. Every one of us has some power, either as a sister or a husband or a mother or a coach, a team captain, a board member, a friend, 
etc., etc., etc. No, we all wield some kind of power in, in someone else's life. And consider these. There's birth order power. If you're an older child, you have power over your siblings. There's organizational power. Some of you uh, run companies. And when you walk into the boardroom, you are the most powerful person in that room. There's classroom power. You teachers, you're the most powerful person in a room of of 30 kids. Um, Husbands, you have power over your homes and over your families and your marriage. Um, Moms, you have tremendous power too. Uh, Even teenagers, you know, you may be a teenager and you may think, I don't have any power, but that's not true. Every teenager has the power to ruin another teenager's reputation, right? Which is tremendous power. And if we're being honest, we have to admit that we are all tempted. We are tempted to misuse and abuse the power that we are, are, are entrusted. I mean, every father feels this. Like, um, I know that personally, sometimes uh, I'm not happy, uh, I'm not proud to say this, but personally, you know, sometimes I'll ask my kids to do things f- for me. You know, not in order to build their character, but just because, you know, I'm too lazy to do it. Sometimes we use our power to protect our power, to protect our base of power. I suppose a new person has come into the company and they are smart, talented, hardworking. You know, you may start to get a little worried. They may pass you by. They may even take your job. And so at that moment, do you use your power to help them? Or do you use your power to thwart them and keep them down and to protect yourself and to protect what you have? See, power, power is always being leveraged for good or for ill. And so here's a, here's a really important question. What do you do when you realize that you are the most powerful person in the room. Because there is some room, there, there is always some room that you are the most powerful person in. What do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? Look what Jesus does. Jesus' actions here uh, of disrobing, of stooping, of wiping, of drying, these are the actions of a slave. These are slave actions. These are the actions of the least, most powerful person in a society. And and just to try and and help you understand how utterly drastic this was, you can, and scholars have done this, they have searched through ancient Jewish writings, ancient Greco-Roman writings. There is, in the historical record, there is no None, no example in all of the historical record of a superior washing in an inferior's feet. It's unheard of. Unheard of. It's It's not merely culturally unusual. It is culturally unheard of. And so what I want you to do is try and listen to two waves that are crashing together. And they are the waves of verse 3 and verse 4. They are the, wa- the waves of divine nature and human nature. Verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. 
and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. That's ultimate power, right? He came from God, he's returning to God. Divine nature, verse four. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist that God would, dis- that God, that God would disrobe himself and wash the dirty, smelly feet of his creation. It's, <laughs> it is so stunning. Here is God in the flesh, John's Logos of chapter 1, kneeling before his creation, washing the mud. Just a truly stunning image. And so, friends, if we accept that God has loaned to each of us a certain measure of power in this life, then what are we to do with it? What are we to do with it? He tells us in verse 16. He says this, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I want, we're going to do something a little uh, unusual. I want you just to repeat these words out loud with me. It would work a whole lot better if there was a room full of people here, but there's a handful of us. And I'd encourage you to do it in what, your living room or your your bedroom, wherever you're watching this. I just want you to repeat these words aloud with me. No servant is greater than his master. No servant is greater than his master. Again, no servant is greater than his master. No servant is greater than his master. Jesus says, he says, I am the most powerful person in the room, guys. I I am the Lord. You're right to call me that. And I, I should be the very last person to wash the feet of others. But now that I have laid aside my rank and, right, and my reputation for your sake, guys, you have lost all excuse for not doing it for each other. If I, your Lord, the most powerful person in the room and the most powerful person in the, in the universe, if I, your Lord, have done this, what excuse will you have for not doing it for each other? I don't know about you, but that hits me. It's like, whoa, that hits me. If I give it, a, if I really take a moment and internalize it, that hits me. It should hit you. Now, one of the things I'm amazed about, amazed at in this passage is the fact that he washed the feet of all 12 men in that room, which means that he washed the feet of, of Judas. He washed the feet of his enemy. He washed the feet, the feet that would trample him in just a few hours' time. He washed those feet. And he washed the feet of the rest of the 11, all of whom would, those feet would run like jackrabbits in just a few hours when he needed, he needed their care and their attention and their love the most. He washed the feet of the, the, the feet of men who would just run away from him. Friends, no servant is greater than his master. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have to realize that the way up is, is down. That the way, uh, the way to joy, the way to joy is to serve. The way to get, to get happiness is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of somebody else. Um, the way of power, it, it, it leads me to conclude that the wisest thing we can do is look for opportunities to leverage our power 
for the good of other people, to better others. Because consider this, Jesus, this is cool, Jesus has not abdicated his power in this passage, has he? No, he has not abdicated his power. No, he's just used his power in such a stunning way. Like this is real, real power. The, the real power of real majesty. No glitz, no glamour, but, but true majesty manifesting itself in kneeling love. Manifesting itself in kneeling, stooping, drying love. And so uh, another question that I want you to ask and to consider Remember the power I talked about that you have that's been given to you at the very beginning of the sermon. What does your use of power say about you? What does your use of power say about you? Um, What does it say about what you have received from the Father? What does it say about where you are going, ultimately? What does it say uh, about your sense of security? What does it say about how you view your purpose in life? Will you refuse to use your power to protect your power? Will you refuse to use your power to serve your own self-interest, your own selfishness, the idol of self Will you use your power? Will you leverage your power to better others? Lots of good, um, lots of good fodder for us to consider in this first part, wash, washing others. So from there, I want to go to uh, being washed, being washed by Jesus. And the key to the story, I think, is verse 6. It's this dialogue between Jesus and Simon Peter. Peter is reluctant to let Jesus, his master, kneel at his feet and wipe his toes, as he should be. I don't know about you, I've never washed another adult um, man's feet before. Never washed, never washed a woman's foot before. Uh, never washed, maybe I've done that for my wife before. I should take that back. But I've never washed any, any dude's feet before. Um, uh, but some churches during their Maundy Thursday services, they, they end up recreating this event in the upper room. And maybe you participate in it. A lot of times they'll take the pastors or the elders of that church and they'll copy Jesus by wrapping themselves in a towel and washing the feet of 12 other people. And w- I, when I've heard other guys talk about this who've done it in their services, they say that washing between someone else's toes is a profound action of, of tenderness and closeness. One pastor said, he said, you know, I pre- prepared for this service, but, quote, nothing could have prepared me for the sense of intimacy that went with a sip- simple but profound action of washing other people's feet. I'm sure it's very humbling for the washer. It's even more humbling for the one being washed. And even more than that, I suspect that, that if you're having your feet washed, it feels kind of vulnerable. Could you bear to have Jesus wash your feet? Like Peter, um, we, we're probably the kind of people who pull back our own feet. And Jesus knows this about us. He knows that it's difficult for us to allow him to wash our feet. Verse 8. Peter says emphatically, you shall never wash my feet. Never. 
Is Jesus, I mean, is Peter being humble when he makes that statement? No. Jesus, in essence, is saying, let me love you in this way. And Peter recoils. What Peter cannot accept, what Peter cannot accept is the love of God on God's terms. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, makes this point of how we normally talk about the love of God as though it's an easy thing to receive. We sing songs about the love of God, talk about it all the time. The love of God is great. But Lewis, reflecting on this phenomena and just human relationships, said, actually, it's very difficult to receive and to go on receiving a love from someone else that does not depend on your own attraction or utility or usefulness. And then he gives this example. He says, okay, suppose a husband develops a disease uh, shortly after getting married, an incurable disease, which doesn't kill him for many years, but makes him useless, impotent, hideous, disgusting. Because of this disease, the husband cannot work. Um, he must depend entirely on his wife to work, entirely on his wife to cook, to clean, kind of to do everything. Lewis says, he is impoverishing her where he hoped to enrich her. He is impaired when he wanted to bless, impaired in his mental faculties. He is shaken by gusts of uncontrollable temper. He's full of unavoidable demands. All while this man's wife, her, her, her care and her tenderness toward him seem to be absolutely inexhaustible. Which would you rather be? <laughs> would you rather be the husband or the wife? Would you rather be the receiver of that love or the giver of that love? And every one of us would rather be the wife in that instance. Isn't that true? We'd rather be the giver. And so Lewis concludes that the man who can take this cheerfully, the man who can receive all and give nothing in return, and who does not do so with resentment, but um, who even abstains from those tiresome, tiresome self-deprecations like, oh, I'm not worth it, or I'm just terrible, which are really only a demand for petting and reassurance. Love that phrase. The man who can do all this is doing something remarkable. For in such a case, to receive is harder and perhaps more blessed than to give. That's profoundly true. Um, it's, it is so hard to receive what we might call pure grace. Grace, grace that like you, you have nothing that you can um, pay it back with. Pure grace. <clears throat> a similar illustration, maybe I can illustrate it a little different way. I know that some of you have gardens and the weather's been absolutely amazing to go out and work in your garden right now. Well, imagine spending the day working in your garden and you come inside for supper and your childhood idol is sitting at the dinner table uh, waiting on you there. For me, my childhood idol was center fielder for the Atlanta Braves, Dale Murphy. Uh, so I imagine, you know, Dale Murphy's, Murphy sitting at the table. If you ever want to hack into my passwords, when the security question pops up, who is your favorite idol? But how uncomfortable would I be if, 
if Dale Murphy you know, said, I, I'm going to wash your hands before dinner, as a child, I would have thought, man, this is cool. But as an adult, as an adult man, what a strange thing to have to surrender your hands to another man. Like how uncomfortable would it be to let another person lather your hands up with soap and, and scrub and you know, scrub even the manure out of the grooves in, the, in your palm, between your fingers and even underneath your fingernails. How utterly strange to like give up a part of your body and be passive, helpless, and just completely receiving. Look with me at the image on the front of your bulletin, because I think that this classic image of Maundy Thursday is actually mistaken. What we have here is Peter um, being, his feet are being washed by Jesus. It looks like they're talking one man to the other. And just to the left of Jesus, or if you're looking at the picture to the right of Jesus, the man dressed in red, I have to assume that that is John. And if you don't have your bullets in, basically John is sitting there with one of his legs crossed and he's taking off his sandal in order, he's, he's next in line to have his feet washed. But I just wonder, I wonder if that picture misses, misses what actually happened. I wonder if Jesus prohibited him from doing even that. Always a slave was the one who would take your sandals off. I wonder if, if Jesus says, I mean, he doesn't, just, just think about, think about how uncomfortable it would be to have your master act like your slave and to not even allow you to take your own sandal off your own foot. And what we learned from this image is just how difficult it is to let Jesus love us the way he wants to love us. It is so hard to accept this kind of love. You know, their feet was, were the, the dirtiest things about them. Their, their feet were just disgusting, gross, shameful, maybe, maybe. And analogously, we have these things about ourselves that are just gross and disgusting and shameful. At the very least, we have these parts about ourselves that we are just tremendously, if we're being honest, tremendously disappointing. Um, habits that we can't break, uh, ways that we talk to other people that we, we, we can't shake out of. You know, Shelton mentioned this during the confession of sin. During COVID, being in, under, you know, at the house all this time, we've spent a lot of time with other people. We've gotten the opportunity to see uh, their faults, our family members' faults, very, very clearly. But, uh, but for me, the, the faults that I have seen the most clearly are my own. Hasn't that happened to you too? Like, I don't like the microscope of, <laughs> of what this virus has shown me about my, myself. They show me that my feet stink, that, they, <laughs> that my feet are so gross. And sometimes I, it's like, I'm just like Peter. I don't want to surrender my feet to you. We say that to Jesus. I don't, I don't even want to, talk to you about these things about me. <laughs> you know, I want to ignore my feet. Are we afraid? Are we afraid to show him our weaknesses? Are we afraid to show him our failures and our shame? The answer to that question is so often, yes, we are. Yes, we are. 
Jesus says, I have to wash you. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And what, I, what happens next is, in my mind, one of the most beautiful uh, pictures uh, in the Bible. Because here what Peter does is he beautifully demonstrates what is the proper response when we feel like, I don't want to show you my feet. What is the proper response? We have this dialogue. Peter, you can't wash my feet. Never. Jesus, I must wash your feet. Peter, then wash my whole body, every bit of me right now. Doesn't that sound like Peter? It's like so quintessentially Peter. Wash my whole body right now. And in that, he is demonstrating to us what, what, what we should feel. To be loved by God, you must surrender to God's love completely. That's what he's doing. You must surrender to his love completely. He's surrendering to God's love on God's terms. Isn't that wonderful? It's so beautiful. It really is. You know, letting him wash us is the only way that he can fully love us. Uh, and it's like Jesus says to us, you, you've got to let me love you with an embarrassing, uncomfortable, vulnerable uh, love. Are you letting him do that? You know, I've asked a lot of questions this morning. And I know that asking questions in a sermon is not always the best sermon technique because really by the time it comes out of my mouth, you process it and then you try to answer the question. Well then, I mean, I'm like three or four sentences down the road before you're able to check back in. And, you know, so I don't know, maybe I've asked too many questions, but, but I'm going to ask you one more. Have you surrendered to his love completely? Because that's really what it means. Is it, it's like to surrender completely to his love. Jesus is saying, he's saying, put away your precious dignity. It's not so valuable. Give up your sense of propriety. It's not so accurate. And let me love you the way that I want to love you. <laughs> let me love you the way I want to love you. In conclusion... Your power will be taken away from you eventually. That's not an if, it's a, it's a when. Someone is going to come along in your company. They're going to be brighter, faster, smaller, or smarter, jump higher. Maybe they'll be smaller too. <laughs> um, you know, all power that we're given, all power is temporary. The man who can be trusted with power is the man who uses his power to enhance others. And so Jesus says the, the two parts of the sermon. Wash each other's feet. When you cook a meal, play with a child, shovel a sidewalk, offer a ride, mop a floor, empty a bedpan, pay a compliment, surrender the spotlight, deflect the credit, shoulder the blame, share the burden. When you do that, you realize that no servant is greater than his master. And then let your feet be washed by Jesus. The question Jesus asks of Peter, do you understand what I have done for you? After he washes Peter's feet, do you understand? Do you really understand what I've done for you? I'm going to suggest that the answer for us is, is no. We, we don't really understand. We don't really understand until we completely surrender to this love. And so ask him 
Ask him to help you understand and ask him, ask him what it means for you, like for you, for you. What does it mean for you to completely surrender to his love? Um, put away your precious dignity. It's, it's not so valuable. Give up your sense of propriety. It's not so accurate. And let him love you the way that he wants to love you. Amen.